0: And cheers! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new uh, episode of Hospitality Secrets Podcast. Pauls Filia here, and today I wanna surprise you with one one more uh, extraordinary surprise guest that I'm invited today. My next surprise guest is, is I, I like to call him an hospitality guru. Uh, he actually started working in this industry before I was born he started in 1988 he's working so he, he knows the industry he's not just working in the industry he worked on many different layers and platforms and, and, and jobs uh, around this industry not just in the bar also in the bar but many other dimensions of the hospitality industry and understands this industry at a much deeper level and uh, that's why I like to call him ho- a hospitality guru and I was super happy and excited when he accepted to come uh, to to this podcast. Uh, one one uh, quick thing: if you if you go to any respectable industry show or convention or or, or uh, gathering of uh, of people from the hospitality industry, for sure he must be there. Either he's uh, at the main stage talking or he's organizing <laughs> from somewhere. But uh, what impressed me most uh, and and actually sticked with me for a long time is is one of his uh, famous quotes which I think it's at the heart of hospitality industry, for sure it's at the heart of what I'm doing. And the quote is, no one cares how much you know, till they know how much you care. So with this fabulous quote, I would like to introduce Mr. Angus Winchester. Angus, thank you very much for uh, for accepting the invitation. Welcome to Hospitality Secrets.
1: Paul, oh, it's an absolute blast to be here. I'm stuck in quarantine for, This is day nine of day 14 so this is quite a relief to have something better to do than stare at my ipad i suppose (laughs) i'm just i suppose i'm just staring at my computer though but no talking with someone about uh, a topic that i love and uh,
0: it's much better than staying just staying in in the hotel but where where are you now for the for the listeners to to know
1: i am currently in singapore uh Overlooking something. My knowledge of geography in Singapore is terrible, but uh, I can see some green outside and some tall buildings. But uh, <laughs> I am here for the next great phase of my career and uh, looking forward to actually getting out of the air conditioning, getting out of the hotel and getting my hands dirty. So
0: slowly, slowly. So you're in, you're, you're in Singapore in a hotel room, quarantine for nine days. You still have a few days left.
1: Six days, five days left. Uh, So, but before that, I was in New York for three weeks just to pack up my apartment in New York because I've moved here permanently. And before that, the UK.
0: So you are quite uh, traveling uh, uh, all around the world. I mean, UK, United States, then Singapore. That's a big distance.
1: I, I mean, my father was a foreign correspondent for a newspaper, a series of newspapers, and he used to travel. So much. I mean, Mm. we were regularly—he was regularly away for over 300 days of the year. But he doesn't do it so much. I've taken on the mantle, and until pandemic came along, yeah, I would—I would do about 200,000 miles a year. Woo!
0: That's kind of a lot.
1: (laughs) You get a bit blasé about it until you figure out that that's sort of eight times around the world. Whoa,
0: Uh, whoa, whoa! Eight times around the world per year. So.
1: But I still, I mean, I always maintain that bartending and hospitality, but bartending, because that's our area of expertise, is is a truly global profession because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You know, even in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, there's an American businessman sitting at the bar in a Hilton saying, "Why the hell can't I get a goddamn martini?" And yeah. so, if you're prepared to travel and if you're able to travel, that's the best education you'll ever get, and it's a it's a truly global career.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. And it it opens your perception by traveling and seeing different cultures, different habits around the world.
1: Oh, very much. I mean, it's because the more you travel, the more you figure out that the way you live your life, like the way you were brought up, your Romania, you know, you're Mm like you're used to how life is in Romania. And when you suddenly go to Scandinavia or Asia or Australasia and you suddenly see that, like, there's a totally different way of living, different attitudes, different support from governments, things like that. It's, uh, you know, it really makes you start to look at life and say, okay, it's not just like this. There are so many different ways out there. And uh, people always used to ask me, when am I going to settle down? When am I going to open a bar? I was like, I can't figure out where I want to open a bar. <laughs> that was always the line anyway. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, the world is a great big place, and now it's easy enough to fly and travel and help. Why not?
0: Yeah, see the world, see the world. Yeah, very much so. So, still traveling still and and what you said you moved to Singapore, but what projects are you working in uh, in this period?
1: Well, I mean, until recently and for the last couple of years, you know, my plan publicly has been to open a bar in New York. And I had an incredible location, incredible partner, incredible investors. I figured now I finally knew what was really important. So it's all about opening a bar and there were some construction problems because there always are. And then COVID came along uh. and that screwed the whole thing. The construction, the whole project basically imploded. The investors said, we don't know if we want to invest a million dollars in a basement bar during COVID, et cetera. Uh, and so I thought, okay, that's fine. You know, these things happen. So I need to look around. So what am I doing at the moment? And I'm, I'm still the education director for BCB in Berlin and Sao Paulo. I stepped down from the one in New York because. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, I realized I wasn't going to be in America anymore. And so being the education director for an American show with America being how it is was slightly less than. So I'm still an education director. I have a couple of small little projects, but I wanted something big to do. So I was sitting around uh, trying to figure out my next plan. My wife is Asian. She's Malaysian. Uh, And although she came with me to America, she's always been happier out here. And I've loved Asia. I've had a Hong Kong based company for 20 years now uh, and love the region and I got a call from a company over here to say we're thinking about creating an operations director role uh, would this be something that you're interested in and I was like hell yes because they're an incredible company I mean they're I suppose I could tell you because it's, I think we'll announce after this when I'm out of quarantine but I'm going to be the operations director for the Jigger and Pony group So Jigger and Pony is the number one bar in Asia, number nine in the world, but they also have a couple of restaurants, including an oyster restaurant, and I love my oysters. (laughs) Uh, And I looked at them initially and I was like, you guys are doing brilliant work. I've known them for some time. I mean, they're brilliant in terms of culture and education and supporting the people who work there. They're obviously great at drinks and bars. Uh, I'm not sure how I can help. And then I thought, no, it's precisely because they're so good that they are now looking for people to grow their businesses and to grow their skill sets and allow them to focus and you know it was indicative of what they do that they were looking to fulfill this position and I jumped at it the chance of coming here which in Singapore 20 years ago when I first came here it was okay nothing special you know it was a lot of expats drinking bottles of Heineken and drinking champagne and that was about it and then Tipling Club came over here and then you had 28 Hong Kong Street and Manhattan Bar and Operation Dagger and Native and Cl- Nutmeg and & Clove and you know some of the most ambitious bars in the world are going on over in Singapore. So the opportunity to come here, work for some really good people, have a look around, hopefully continue to move the scene along was irresistible. So here I am, Singapore Operations Director for Jigger & Pony Group, hopefully, starting Monday.
0: Woohoo! In a premiere announcing. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, yeah. We're going to have a photo shoot on Monday type thing so that we can announce it to the world because there's some interest in what I'm doing uh, and I'm very proud of it. So, you know, and if Super it can encourage people to go traveling. You know, I, you know, it's interesting that, Somebody was suggesting that maybe pandemic in America as bars started to close would actually start that same sort of diaspora of bartenders that happened during prohibition. But if you can't work in America, you're going to pack up your shakers and you're going to buy a plane ticket and you're going to go in prohibition it was Europe and Cuba. Obviously now though, Asia's booming. So Asia if I can help booming. lure if I can help lure some more talent out here, I'm more than happy to.
0: Super nice, super nice. Sounds great. Sounds uh, very exciting. So there are big news. Yeah, English very much so. Moving to Singapore, starting yep. new amazing projects. Super nice. Yep. Well done, good, well done. Good.
1: Thanks, Ben. Uh, a
0: quick question. Where where can the listeners find your work or, or connect with you? Which platforms do you use most? Uh, well, I mean...
1: I'm on Twitter as Angus Winchester I'm on Instagram as Angus Winchester I I, mean, I used to do a lot of writing I, mean, I I wrote for Class Magazine in the very early days of Class Magazine uh, then later on for Flavor Magazine Australian Bartender Mixology Magazine but I just think I don't know maybe my writing days are over uh, but you know I, I try and let people know what's going on in my world but I don't do podcasts I don't do blogs I used to send out newsletters and things like that but there's a lot of noise out there. And uh, I figure if people want to get in touch with me, anguswinchester at gmail.com. Uh, you know, I like getting emails. I like responding. I like helping people. So to follow my work? Difficult. Uh, but, you know, Through things like this, kind offers from people like you to talk. Uh, Thank you very I like much to, for, <laughs> for I like talking. to, I like to do it and not so much talk about it. Today, <laughs> being an so exception. You're,
0: you're a doer.
1: <laughs> I try and be, yes. I can say my... I try and live through actual execution as opposed to uh, just talking about it because I think sometimes there's a lot of time wasted just talking as opposed to actually doing.
0: Yeah, yes, uh, we, we need to find a proper balance between talking and doing. So- sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm passing the, the border on, on talking more and doing less, but <laughs> I'm still uh, doing lots of things and, and still like to to keep the talk because we need ch- also to to socialize in uh, in in our industry and now everything moved to social media. And as we we talked a bit earlier, now it's everybody's sick of Zoom calls, (laughs)
1: but we somehow need to do it. (laughs) it's It's also not just Zoom calls. I mean, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, I mean, you can start conversations. You can't have a proper conversation there. And one of the big problems is that you start a serious conversation on Facebook and people don't read through the whole thread. You know, they just see certain threads and react to those. And all of a sudden you go so off the tangent or people see one line and they just don't take it in context. So I try and stay away now from serious conversations and serious topics because you're going to be misunderstood.
0: Mm, And in
1: this day and age, you know, if you're misunderstood and get the wrong side of public opinion, even unfairly, then, you know, but... It's a, it's a tricky one
0: it is it is <laughs> so angus I know you you started before I was born I, I have 30 years also <laughs> uh, can can you share us a bit like briefly the, the the backstory what's your history in the hospitality industry
1: well I mean obviously 30. 30- three years in the industry we don't have long enough to cover most of this but I mean I I started bartending I I wanted to be a a sportsman I wanted to be a professional cricketer which Mm. is an English sport a lot of people don't think it's a real sport (laughs) lots of of drinking tea and ending up in a drawer (laughs) after five days but that's what I wanted to do so the easiest way for me to do that was actually go to Oxford University because on one hand it's a brilliant university but in those days the university played almost in a professional league so I wanted to do that, but I lived in Oxford, was going to university in Oxford, so I wanted to travel. So I was going to spend a year traveling, working in a department store during the day. And somebody said to me, but dude, if you want to earn some money, you should work at night time. I said, well, what the hell can I do at night time? And he said, well, I'm working at this nightclub, you should come and work with me. So I started bartending to a little bit of money. Luckily. I was then encouraged to go and work in a Mexican restaurant when Mexican restaurants were cool. And now they're cool, but it's taken 30 odd years to get back to there. Later on, I mean, I mean, I say I went from Oxford to Brighton and London, then from there to New York, from New York back to the UK. Uh, I came back there. I'd been bartending elsewhere. I came back as a and became a sales rep for Allied Dumeck, which is a company that doesn't exist and hasn't existed for 20 odd years, but that's fine. Uh, and then one day I was asked to provide some advice about opening a bar in New York for what was then Johnny Walker. Because there was a time when Johnny Walker owned bars around the world in really? Thailand. And yeah, they, they had these cool bars. I mean, now, of course, they're doing these sort of visitor centres. Yeah. But in the, you know, in 96, 97, 98, they were opening bars in Asia. Mm. Then massive economic slump, they all closed. But they were interested in opening one in New York. So they knew I'd run a bar in New York. They talked to me and I said, you can't do that. Brands can't work with bars in New York. So they said, okay, that's shit. But actually we're about to open a head office bar in our new brand new head office. And it's gonna be a facility for the business. You know, go there and have a cup of coffee and, but it's a bar and we're a drinks company. So we want it to be really good. And what we wanna do is we wanna hire you to be the bar manager because you know your shit. So I came along, and I was the bar manager for the staff bar for what was then UDV, the spirits bit of Diageo. One day, somebody came down and said, "Hey, we've got a bunch of people coming in from around the world for Tanqueray. We'd like you to run a, like a Martini masterclass. How to make the perfect Tanqueray Martini." I said, "Yeah, not a problem at all." They came down. I ran a sort of twenty-minute session talking about you know the four questions you ask if somebody orders a Martini. Afterwards, they said that was brilliant. Could you could you do that for bartenders? I said, hell yeah, of course I could. So I was then employed as a side gig to go and run training for bartenders, set up a thing called the Tancred Martini Academy, ran it all over all over the UK, then started doing events, set up my first company, the International Playboy Bartenders, which was a, basically an event and training company. Later on, it was just myself and my partner at the time. Then Ben Reed came to work for us and Alex Turner came to work for us. Later on, Alex Cameling came to work for us. And that was brilliant. But I could see the UK was good, but Asia was where the money was. So I moved over to Asia to set up IPB Asia. Fell out with my business partners, quit, set up my another company, Alconomics. Alconomics, uh, brilliant name. Brilliant I name. I thought <laughs> I liked it, but a lot of people don't realize that ALC is actually my initials. I'm Angus Lewis Charles Winchester. So it's ALC uh, as well as alcohol. So uh uh, Even better. <laughs> yeah, so it's, so I set up Economics Asia with Pete Kendall, who was the ex-head bartender for Milk and Honey, and then uh, Sam Jevons, who was the bar trainer from Milk, from Match Bar Group. And that was all great. And then somebody came along and said, Angus, could you help us recruit a global ambassador for Tanqueray Number no. 10? And I said, yeah, me. <laughs> no, what? I said, well, I love Tanqueray. I've worked with Tanqueray before. I've run education sessions. Plus... I figured stupidly that this would now mean that I'd be flying business class around the world as opposed to economy around the world. I didn't realize that in those days Tanqueray had no money at all. (laughs) So Somebody also pointed out that in those days a bottle of Tanqueray number 10 was tall, uh, uh, sort of cool looking and filled with lots of gin. And that was sort of how I lived my life. So that was fine. Uh, So I became the Tanqueray ambassador, came over to America to do some work. And they said, actually, weirdly, because, or despite you being English, Like this worked really well. So, would you like to relocate to America? Because 75% of Tanqueray sales are over there. So, I spent the last decade over in America doing that. Then, about four or five years ago, I realized that to a certain extent, bartenders knew too much and they didn't know the right stuff. Uh, You know, they were far too concerned about. The alcohol percentage that the gin was coming off the still and you know did the still have rummagers in it and i was like maybe guests ask these sort of questions now but i don't think they do so i don't know what i want to teach you but then i realized that i'd been a manager and i was a manager with no training no education and the drink companies were paying for training and competition for bartenders but owners and managers got nothing no real support so i started working with a company called They had developed and we worked with them to develop a a management training program. And so I did that for a couple of years. So, I mean, that's a long story. I could talk about trader happiness. I could talk about working for Salvatore Calabrese. I could talk about winning three tails plates. But I always say there were three things that really stood out. One, when I worked at my Mexican restaurant, it was for an ex-London bar manager in Oxford. So he brought this sort of cool London thing. But we had Maker's Mark on the back bar. Every bar nowadays has Maker's Mark, but in those days, they only brought 1,000 bottles of Maker's Mark a year into the UK. It was a tiny, tiny product. And my bar manager, Simon Young, basically said, Look, this is someone's life's work. This isn't just a good way of getting drunk. Like, Maker's Mark is so cool because of how they make it, and look at the wax seal and all of this. Uh, and it made me realize that alcohol was more than just getting drunk making members of the opposite sex look more attractive. I mean, this was someone's life's work. They couldn't be there, so you had to be there. Then I moved to Brighton and to London. I did a bit in London, the Atlantic Bar and Grill, which dates me slightly, just after it opened. Down Mexico Way, Fifth Floor Harvey Nichols, which back in the day were legendary bars. And there it was about professional bartending. You know, I shaved all my hair off because, you know, I had long hair before that and it got in my eyes and that was no good for bartending and... I started wearing uh, insoles in my shoes and climbing socks because I realized that you have to look after your feet and your knees and things. And it was all about cranking out drinks at top speed. Then I moved to New York, my dad lived there, and they didn't give a shit where I'd worked in London. All they wanted to know is rather like a DJ, if I give you a job here on a Tuesday night, how many people are going to come here because you are working on a Tuesday night? Wow. It was all about the sort of reputation you had, the crowd you had, like a DJ. And I was having a guest one night and comes in. He's like, hey, you know, can I have a Johnny Walker Black on the Rocks? It's like, yep, sure. He goes, my name's John, by the way. I said, John, I'm Angus. And I realized that they didn't care about your drinks. They didn't care about how many cocktails you knew and the history of drinks. What they cared about is that you remembered their name. Mm. That it was about the guest. And that's in New York. That's what people wanted. They wanted to be able to go into a bar where people would be like, hey, John, how are you? because everyone moves there they're all trying to be something so the idea of loving alcohol for more than getting drunk the idea of being able to produce it and serve it at top speed perfectly every time and still survive at the end of it and finally the idea of making people care about what you're doing like those were the three things that really sort of changed my mind about stuff i also and again it's difficult to talk to a a youngster but this was the very early days of the internet, and I stumbled on a website called hotwired.com forward slash cocktails. And this, every week had a different cocktail. They would talk about the history of it, the story of it, how to make it. This was things like the monkey gland, 20th century, the pegu, the red snapper, the Satan's whiskers. And I suddenly realized that Cocktails weren't just recipes. Like they were actually made for somebody, by somebody, and they developed, and they had histories behind them. I'd read about the mint julep, and suddenly I'm like, ah, oh, this is mint, sugar, ice, and bourbon. And yet, the writing about it, the histories, the variations, the stories, and that, that was, I think, the most significant thing. You can still buy the book. They turned it into a book by Paul Harrington. It's very expensive if you can find it, but... People like myself and Jacob Breyers and a few others said this connected us to a global scene in a way that he was in New Zealand. Yes, I was in New York, but just made me realize that there was a lot more to bartending than just memorizing recipes and things like that. So I would say that was important to me as well. So as always, I have just waffled on an awful lot, but I hope that gives you a slight flavor of where I've come from.
0: Uh, Good good. uh taste of the the backstory, which is kind of rich and and, uh, very diverse. But how how would you describe this this history from the the day you started in the hospitality industry industry, till the present moment? How would you describe it in just one sentence? How would you distill this history?
1: interesting question i mean obviously we change you start off being young dumb and full of cum you think you're sexually attractive and whatever so forget that but for me i want to know as much as i possibly can about drinks drinkers and those that serve them so the drinks people they're serving them to, and the people who are serving them and i think that's it i mean that has been you know it's an endless task but Every day, if I can just find out about what motivates people and how you make this and the history of that and you know, how to do it better. That's that's what my, I would say. I would like to think that's how you could sum it up in one nice, sentence.
0: Nice. So knowing more about drinks, the drinkers and those who serve them. I wanted to know everything.
1: And of course, <laughs> that just means you're never going to stop because you can never know everything. I mean, you never learn less, but there's always more to learn.
0: Indeed, indeed, there is always, always, always something, something else to learn. Things are changing, and and there is always something new to learn.
1: Absolutely, I mean, new spirits, weirdness. Mm. I mean, whenever I used to go to a country, I'd be like, right, let's talk about you know, what's the local spirits, and there's some really interesting ones that I think I think it was when I came to Romania. I was saying, okay, what brand of this should I buy? And they're like, no, no, you don't buy a brand, get a bottle, give it to me. I've got a friend, yeah. or a grandfather, or an uncle who makes it, and stuff like that just blows me away. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of my one of my unicorns is uh, a product called Finkel F I N K E L, which I read about, and it was a juniper-based spirit made traditionally illegally in Norway, and it did tend to be. I, I remember talking to Monica Berg about this and she was like, you know, she found out that her dad was making spirits like in his garage. <laughs> she didn't know for ages, but it's the sort of thing that happened. So uh, yeah. as I, say, I have those sort of unicorns, there's always more things to learn, you know, whether it's about posh, which is a sort of corn based Mexican spirit or whether it's like palinka, yeah. Slipovitz or the eight legally defined different styles of Borovicka in Slovakia. I mean, you, when you think you know it all, Suddenly the world comes along In, and shows you, that you know yeah, nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more you know, the more you you find out that you need to to learn more.
1: I know, and it's that's why I love it. You're never gonna get bored if mm. accumulation of knowledge. And that mm. could be how to do something better. It's not always just cerebral. It could be about you know, I love finding ways of separating yolks from eggs. You know, because it's about end of your hair and your egg white thing. Somebody showed me that if you get a a plastic bottle, put the egg into a bowl, squeeze an empty bottle, squeeze it, put it just above the egg yolk and let it go, the egg yolk pops into the bottle. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Somebody showed me the other day that if you rub your fingers on garlic, like a clove of garlic, you can effectively pick up an egg yolk and move it over there. No, I'm like, really? that's so cool. Yeah, (laughs) so cool. I'm, I'm learning constantly little life hacks great big life lessons but let's say that's constantly the joy you. you learn all the time if you constantly keep if you keep learning. your mind open anyway
0: mm, indeed indeed the beginner's mind if you if you keep mm. in the beginner's mind there is always place to to learn more
1: us also i mean just to find this up remember that of course i worked in a mexican restaurant uh, and we had 17 bottles of tequila in 1988 mm. so you know even oh, now okay. that would be something special <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but we only had one bottle of Mezcal but it didn't matter because we all knew that all tequila is Mezcal but not all Mezcal is tequila like all Cognac is brandy but not all brandy is Cognac now of course that's totally not true that Mezcal is bottle and bacchanora and you know there's so many different ways of making it and ensemble Mezcals and you're like okay suddenly from something I thought I knew it has bloomed into an entire massive new category which is super cool uh, so you got to know about it so mm. that you can talk to guests about just, it. But you just need to learn. I love stuff like that.
0: Just need to to have the willing to learn more.
1: Yeah. Yeah, be, keep an open mind. I mean, Somebody once said it's amazing what you can achieve when you admit what you don't know. Mm. I think our, our industry for so long was built on a sort of bullshit baffles brains. You know, I know more than the guest does, so I can just lie my head off. <laughs> uh, I always remember, you know, somebody pointing out that all poor spouts on the back bar should be pointing towards Mecca. And I was just like, that's a bit weird, but... <laughs> the sort of stuff that you're told when you're a you know, 20 year old bartender <laughs> yeah. and you're told by your mentor or teacher, and you believe it. When you figure out that he didn't know, uh, he was told by somebody else, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, and you don't understand why you do that. You're just taking the knowledge and just applying it blindly. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we know that for sure this, uh, this industry changed among the, the years that, that passed away, among your, your backstory in the industry since you started this, uh, in this uh, job. This, this job, fundamentally, this industry has, uh, has never changed. Uh, the, the cocktails, the, the recipes kind of changed, but not so. The techniques maybe changed, uh, the approaches changed, but something didn't change and uh, the question is what didn't change during your years in the hospitality industry what
1: remained the same interesting uh (laughs) i mean things have changed radically i mean i was explaining to someone the other day that there was a time when for example chefs nobody cared who was cooking your food that wasn't important (laughs) the important thing was the the maitre d the guy who ran the dining room he was the person that was important because he got you the best table he let you in he you know, so that E was important. Then chefs became important for a long time. I mean, I, people would ask me what I did at parties, and I say I'm a bartender, and they're like, "Wow, that's just fascinating." Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just got to go make a call, and I'd be like, "No, no, I get it. I'm a bartender." You know, you think I'm socially broken and awkward and going to sleep with your girlfriend will try anyway, but actually, I said, "I'm I'm a really good bartender." I mean, I travel the world. I've cocktails and served famous people royalty film stars all of that and people used to say so do you throw the bottles in the air Uh, and that used to be the thing it was you know flair bartenders is what your general public thought it's obviously changed now when people are like oh you're a mixologist Mm -hmm. and i'm like no i'm i'm a bartender and they're like oh mixologists are cool and you're like okay that's that's fine and you know Bartenders have invented all these words to get themselves paid more and laid more. (laughs) Coctologist, cocktailian, drinksmith, bar chef, intoxicologist, sultan of shake, master. you know, I mean, I always like the idea of coctologist. And I I used to say, somebody gave me a business card that said they were a coctologist, and I I really hope they're some sort of bartender. Otherwise, the meeting we have planned is going to go vaguely wrong. But recently, somebody said, no, a coctologist is a proper thing. I said, what is it? He said, somebody makes great drinks, but there's a bit of a dick about it. And it's true that some people think it's all about the drink. Yeah. But the idea of being a dick about it, I think one thing that hasn't changed and you know, is that, unfortunately, when people, a lot of people, get drunk, they become dicks. You know, they steal stuff off your bar, they hit on people, they get into fights and things like that. And if one thing hasn't changed in our industry, it's the fact that Guests can be a bit of a dick sometimes. They don't respect what you do. They think it's not a proper job. Even if they read about mixologists and things like that, you know, they're still like, hey, this drink's not strong enough. Hey, can you put that drink in a manly glass? And you're like, fuck off. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, the problem is, the hard thing for our industry is, if we are good at our job and we serve people lots of drinks, which is not necessarily the same link, then most people start off being lovely and end up being let's get security, or let's call them a cab, because they're just going to embarrass themselves now. Uh, And unfortunately, that hasn't changed. I'm interested to see, though, the whole non-alcoholic thing. You know, people more and more, there are now bars that are entirely Mm non-alcoholic. And not just in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and places like that, but in New York, because people realize sometimes being in a room of drunk people is not fun. So, you know, maybe that'll change things a little bit, but maybe I'm just being a grumpy old man, but one thing that hasn't changed is that guests still don't really respect what we do after a couple of drinks or after one drink too many, shall we say.
0: (laughs) After the limit, one more.
1: Absolutely. Somebody said once, what do you do? And I said, I help people be good at drinking. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I have no problem saying, I'm so sorry, sir. I really think it's time for you to go home now. And I won't just kick them out of the door. I mean, that's the weird thing that, you know, the difference between being a bartender and being truly hospitable is you may see someone's too drunk to serve, whether it's a legal thing or an emotional thing. But to then basically say, right, no, get out, go and play in the road is terrible. If you think someone is too drunk that you can't serve them alcohol, then go and find them a taxi. Give $20 to the taxi driver and say, take this person home. And nine times out of 10, you'll never see the person again because they feel embarrassed. But that one time where they come back in and say, dude, I just want to say thanks. Because, like, I got home and I realized how drunk I was. Like, I'm so sick the next day. And, you know, I hope I didn't embarrass myself in here. But you know, thanks a lot. Thanks for looking out for me. I'm like an alcoholic bodyguard. Mm,
0: I mean, the yeah, to looking, that is Looking out for others. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's the nature of hospitality. Uh, mm. At the end of the day, and it doesn't just have to be serving drinks and fancy food and things like that. But it's wanting to look after the people around you and nice. you know you talk about people being hospitable and being good hosts you know even if they've never worked in our industry and it's just because they want the people around them to be happy Ooh. and like that's that's very cool
0: you you almost you, you kind of reply to the next question <laughs> which i like most which is at the the, the heart of uh, of this podcast is, is being hospitable uh uh, finding more about hospita- uh, hospitality, applying uh, hospitality more—not just being like—not just serving drinks, but being hospitable. And, and uh, the question is, what is hospitality? It's a very vague question, a very general question, and it depends according to the culture, according to the countries. It changes so much, and, and not just referring to the dictionary uh, 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 definition of hospitality. What mm. is for you hospitality? For Angus Winchester, what is hospitality?
1: Well, I mean, as a general concept, it's very human. I mean, it is very human. You are wanting to make the lives of the people around you better. Mm. Whether it's the person that you're sitting next to on a train. You know, if I'm sitting there, uh, you know, I have a pack of mints or something, and I pull out to have my mint, I'll offer it to the people around. Mm. And some people are like, I mean, now in COVID, they would be like, oh, no. But, you know, to sit there with a packet of mint or chewing gum or something like that and have it yourself is just like... That's a bit annoying. The person next to you is like, I really like a mint. So it's a human thing. The thing is that we work in the hospitality industry. And so there you have to be a little bit more precise about it. Uh, But I think it's the same anywhere. I mean, we talk about service as not being just what you do to people. It's not about serving a drink. It's not about refilling your water glass. It's not about putting some cool coaster down in front of you. Service is about making people feel better about themselves and it's very simple i mean at the end of the day service is about four things and i've eaten in the best restaurants in the world in places that are the best restaurant in the world i've eaten in greasy cafes and hawker stands and things like that and i can tell you that great service makes me as a human being feel four emotions but are very human as well great service makes me feel welcome like People are glad I'm there. They're glad they met me. They're glad they're sitting next to me, et cetera. Secondly, comfortable. You know, especially in bars and restaurants, but elsewhere. You know, you go into a swanky shop and you just feel awkward. Like everything is too expensive and like it's all too. So you make me feel welcome. You make me feel comfortable. I think perhaps the most important thing is you make me feel important. That mm. you know, great service just makes you feel important. It can be something as simple as like, You know, asking for a certain brand and the bartender saying, Good choice. A little pat on the back, that little sort of like, Well done, nice. You know, you ask somebody, you can have a gin and tonic, would you like a particular gin? Doesn't matter. You're like, "Hmm." Whereas if you say, You know, do you have any Tanqueray, you'd be like, Yes, I do. You know, good choice, nice, my favorite. And we can commodify that and that's fine. And the last one is understood that, you know, we don't want to just be important. We want to be recognized as individuals. So, I've been in five-star, three-star Michelin restaurants where i felt awkward. The food has been lovely, but it was just slightly awkward. Like, we were there watching an opera and you weren't supposed to be talking. Uh, You know, and it's... I remember going to a... I went to a bar once with Phil Duff and they were playing jazz and we were talking and they were like, shh, shh, jazz. (laughs) I was like, dude, this, this is a bar that's playing jazz. I'm supposed to be drinking, talking, listening. This isn't... Uh, Symphony Hall I'm not sitting here Uh, and I've been to dive bars like crazy dive bars on back streets that I can never find again in cities that names I can't pronounce but they made me feel important they made me feel welcome they made me you know not because I'm Angus Winchester international playboy bartender but because that's what they did Mm -hmm. and of course you have to employ people who naturally have that sense of hospitality and I worked. I think you had Sean Finter on the yeah, phone
0: yeah, one
1: yeah. time. First time I ever met Sean down in Australia. I'd never heard of him before. A friend of mine. I say a friend. This is someone that we'd bounced around on WebTender, which used to be like before Facebook. You know, WebTender and Drink Boy were the two greatest resources for any decent bartender around the world because oh, okay. they were notice boards, and you could be Saunders and Cheryl Charming and Phil Duff and all of these people on it. and That's fine, but. I met this guy, Jason. I'm like, hey, we're friends. He's like, you've got to meet my business partner. I met Sean, talked with him for about an hour. And if you've talked with Sean, you know that it's just like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he said, I'll tell you what, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? Let's come to my house for a barbecue. I'm like, wow, Australians really do do barbecues, do they? That's all a bit weird. But <laughs> when we were driving, he picked me up from the hotel. was driving to his house. He said, I have to stop in and get some beer. So we stopped in at some huge supermarket in Sydney. And he came out with a case of beer and he said, uh, I think I just hired somebody. I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? He said, Well, I was getting out a case of beer from the, one of the fridges and this guy was like shacking, stacking shelves. Like he wasn't manager or anything like that. He was just stacking shelves and he saw me carrying this case of beer over and he said to me, I'm sorry if you don't mind me asking, uh, are you going to drink that now or is it for the weekend? And Sean's like, well, I'm going to drink some of it now, it's 24 beers. So I'm going to drink some of it now, some for the weekend. The guy said, well, that case is warm because I just saw them stock it up. Let me go and get you a cold case. And he went around and got a cold case. And Sean said, I can teach anybody like how to do the job. But you can't teach them to care about it. And it was that sort of thing. This guy saw me, no reason. He's not making more profit off it. But it was that sense. He was like, that's what I'm looking for. So I can teach that person to shake a cocktail, take an order, carry a drink or a tray, but I can't teach someone who's really good at carrying a tray to care and to look out for those sort of things. So the problem is that you're taking of this lovely human thing of wanting to look after people and then you're turning it into something that you can make money off. Mm. But if you do it right, then people don't mind about being charged for this. Uh, and as I say, your job is to make people feel better, not drunker, mm. not fatter. But you know, when they walk out there yeah, and I remember running a bar in London and having some young bartender who was all like, You don't give me enough respect. I said, Dude, you earn respect. You get basic respect as a human being, but said, My Apple mojito, people are still talking about it. I'm like, I don't give a shit about your apple mojito. I'll tell you what, see that table over there. Go and change that woman's ashtray and make her laugh. Like if you can do that while I'm watching you, then then I'll give you respect. Because that's the bit. You know, at the end of the day, it's not about your apple mojito. It's about can you make someone laugh when doing something as dull and practical as changing their ashtray? And again, that shows how old I am when you could still smoke in bars in London. But you know, it's that sort of thing that's important. The drink side of things, I can shave a monkey, stick it behind a bar, and teach it how to shake a cocktail. But I can't teach it how to make someone feel good. Mm. So that's the key to hospitality. It's, well, you know, it's not peeking well. behind the curtain, but I always say to people, I mean, you can have training sessions where you say, right, how do, make, how do people make you feel welcome? Like when people come into your house, what do you do? When you meet people for the first time socially, what do you do? Like what are the keys to making someone feel welcome, comfortable, important, understood? Let's train that. Let's have workshops about that rather than let's have a session about the mash bill of all the bourbons that we've got, or let's talk about the difference between a Tejona and a Chilean mill in tequila production. And I think that's getting better now we are doing more training on that but only because we've taught everything else (laughs) that's the the stuff you really look for it's the hospitality side of things I think
0: Mm, mm. you you partially responded to an extra question that I have uh, how can uh, we offer genuine hospitality one part for sure it's hiring the right people those people who care but how can we explain to people showing genuine hospitality
1: uh, well, I mean, I think it's it's a conversation. I mean, the point is it's not me telling you. It's me saying, when was the last time you went out and had some great service? Or oh, terrible service? And let's talk about it. Like, what? What did they do? Why did you say, oh, it's great service there. Great. Why? Like, what did they do? It's like, oh, well, you know, they, they used my name. I'm like, brilliant. Absolutely. Using your name is a simple but really good. And what else did they do? And the idea of Education is no longer an expert standing at the front telling you. It needs to be a conversation. It needs to be a dialogue. It needs to be the tell me a time when somebody made you feel good. And let's write these things up. And let's it's, see it's whether. Started, you know, from there, yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm. you can't. The hospitality, I mean, our industry, there's two types of person. There's a person who's good at it, you know, because it's a great way of earning money. You get to drink a lot, you know, a lot of things like that. Uh, and you get people like that. They, you know, they hate guests, but they realize it's a good job. So they're going to fake it. And some of them are brilliant at faking it. And then there's the person who, they just love people. This is a wonderful job. I mean, if they weren't doing this, weirdly, but in Oxford back in the day, and a long time ago, the coolest bar was a bar called Rowls. And there's still a bar called Rowls in Oxford, but it's not the same bar. And the bartenders there, Sean and Stanford and things like that, I've seen them recently and both of them now work in care. They look after old people and look after sick people. They're not doctors, they're not nurses, but you know, nurses make good hospitality people because you don't become a nurse for the money or the, you know, the glamour of it. Yeah. I I had friends who were nurses and I used to ask them how their day was. And they would stand there and tell me about how they held the hand of an 83 year old lady who came in who'd fallen on her own and she died. And I'd be like, fuck. Like, <laughs> do you do this i'm never going to ask you how your day went again because when you actually tell me but you know there are people who want to be nurses there are people who want to be carers because they want to look after their fellow human being so figure out how to firstly identify those people and secondly ask them because they'll teach you as much as you can teach them
0: nice nice very nice very nice Wow! Wow! That's that's knowledge. I, I'm still uh, <laughs> uh, digesting the the whole info.
1: Uh, no, I qui- mean, there are. Sorry, please, go please, on. Please,
0: please, no, 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 go, 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 go. I no, no, I mean, I gonna, uh, no, I mean, I was going to. No, I mean, I was going to say the
1: the point is that there are, you know, there are tricks that you can use. I mean, you can have this deep oh, empathy with people, etc. But you know, I'm a 51-year-old English white heterosexual man. Like. How am I going to you know, teach somebody else? How am I going to learn from them, etc.? cetera? And there are tricks that you can do. You know, you started off by saying, How was I? And I love asking people how they are. You know, when a guest comes into the bar, I'm like, Hey, how are you doing today? And they're like, Fine, how are you? And that's pol- social politeness. But if you say, I am doing so well, it would be a crime. If I'm doing so well, I'd have to be twins. You know, I am doing unbelievably well. People are like, Whoa. <laughs> okay, And that first interaction, you know, if you get someone being like, oh, that's not a typical response, or if mm. he makes them smile, then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit easier. Somebody asked me what a cocktail tastes like, and I say it tastes like angels dancing on your tongue.
0: Ooh, wow. And people, wow.
1: people laugh, they giggle, they're like, that's so cheesy. I say, try it in the bar. They do it, and they're like, that is so cool. People ask what's in the drink, and I'll say, oh, it's... Gin, Cointreau, fresh lemon juice, a little bit of love. So I put a bit of love into every drink I make. And people are like, and they're smiling and they're talking yeah. to people and things. So, I mean, there are little tricks that you can use. Uh, but, you know, if you're good at it, people never know that they are a trick and a script. We used to talk about bartending. Hospitality is like being an actor because you're on stage for a start. I was running a bar in New York once, it got to 4.30 in the morning, we kicked everybody else out, a couple of friends left in the bar, and they said, hey Angus, can I get a drink? I said, yeah, go and fucking make it yourself. And they walked around the bar and they stood there and they went, oh. I said, what? They said, wow, everyone's like looking at you here. (laughs) We as bartenders, we're so used to standing behind the bar and of course, but it is like being on stage or like being a teacher at the front of the class. Uh, and I said, it's, you know, you have to exaggerate your personality, you know, exaggerate your voice and exaggerate your body motions. You're using props, shakers and bottles and things like that. But you can use scripts, lines that, you know, make people laugh, make people smile. As long as you don't do it for every guest side by side, then you know, there, are, there are hacks that you can do, little tricks and things like, like that. Like
0: comedians testing their jokes again and again and again. Then you have the joke that is working and you test yeah. uh, the lines,
1: the oh, scripts. Absolutely. But of course, you can't live on just one joke. You've got to have Mm -hmm. 50 jokes. So, you know, just be able to sort of say to people, by the way, that's a great shirt. People are like, oh, thank you. Mm. And, you know, or maybe like, oh, what are those headphones? Those are great looking headphones. And people talk to you and find something about the person you're standing in front of that you can say, by the way, lovely perfume. Not always creepy, but to say something to sort of say, "I, I see you as a human person and I recognize something, that's cool, that's a great t-shirt, there's a great cufflinks, whatever it may be. It's the little things like that that make people go, oh, thank you. And all of a sudden, they're just feeling a little bit better.
0: Yeah, talking, uh, still talking about those tricks, those little things. I want to ask, what are your top three or five strategies about being an absolutely amazing host? I'm sure you have lots of
1: of them. I mean, firstly, Try and build rapport. Find something you have in common with this person. Mm. Now, as I say, it can be, I'm not going to say a lie, but if they say, you know, a vodka martini, and you say, would you like a particular vodka? And they say, yeah, you love Yuluvka, and you're like, good choice. (laughs) I like that. You may not like it, but all of a sudden, there's a similarity. Mm. So, like, read the guest. Try and figure out, you know, what they like, what they're doing, things like that. Try and find at least one thing in common, as I say. I'm a 51-year-old English white male, et cetera, but I need to try and find someone to comment. I know nothing about American sport, but I know enough to be able to start a conversation with an American. And that's all you've got to do as a bartender, start the conversation. So you're like, oh, you're a football fan, are you? You know, What do you think about Tom Brady? Well, that's it, all I need to know is that Tom Brady's a football player, and they'll be like, oh, well, you know what I mean? <laughs> and they're talking, and the art of conversation is getting the other person to talk about things they like. So to start, read the guest. Create rapport is always important. Uh, Focus 100% on them when you're dealing with them. For the 45 seconds that I'm serving you, you are the most important person in my world. Mm. Focus eye contact with you. I'm trying to personalize the experience. I'm not talking to people over my shoulder while I'm serving you. So doing that, something as simple, using their name. Like if you know somebody's name, if you can use it, like mr winchester how are you you're like i'm good and this it's a little hack you know not because i'm famous or important i mean i love when i make a restaurant reservation and they'll phone up on the day of my reservation and say so mr winchester just checking you know table for two eight o'clock this evening can we ask why you're coming like is it a special occasion and that is done you know if you're like yes i'm on a date or it's a you know it's my birthday or it's a promotion or it's my mum's birthday and when they react to that, when they do something to that, you know, when they almost like, we know it's someone's birthday here, etc. So we're going to bring a birthday cake up at the end, or we're going to give you a signed copy of the menu. Little things like that cost nothing, but are worth millions. Mm. Also, just be polite and be professional, because at the end of the day, you know, people like to be served by experts. They like to be served by someone who's professional. Be friendly, but not familiar. You know, somebody came in last night and got absolutely shitfaced don't talk about it when they come in <laughs> next night because you don't know so you no know, salvatore was always about be friendly not familiar and i think be, that's right be
0: friendly but, not familiar
1: friendly not familiar but let's say don't there are the loads of little hacks but as i remember the service thing make me feel welcome special welcome important understood and comfortable and then try out your material try out figure out what works for you that you can get away with I'm terrible with names, but I can say sir or madam because I'm English and the accent allows me to get away with <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, but let's say, I mean, there's so many. I couldn't possibly begin to remember until...
0: Do you have some season. hacks with remembering names? I cannot re- never remember the names, maybe because I'm not very focused on it. Do,
1: do you develop no. some hacks about it? I haven't. I'd love to because I used to be good. Then I went to America and literally, I mean, in 1993 in New York, For example, no bar in New York in those days had a cocktail menu. Like, you wouldn't tell a New Yorker what to drink. Like, they knew what they wanted (laughs) to drink, thank you very much. (laughs) Most of the time, it was shit. I mean, it was the era of the, the early era of the Cosmopolitan, but people forget that you had the Cosmopolitan, the Metropolitan, and the Neapolitan, which were three drinks in the same family. All used Absolute, Courant, and Lime, so Lime Cordial, and things like that. Uh, But people forget about that, but you'd get 50 people a night introducing themselves to you. And I, after a bit, I just, it burned out the memory bit of my brain. Uh, I could remember what they drank, you know, they'd be like, you don't remember me, do you? And I'd be like, yeah, Jack and Coke. They're like, what the fuck? What the fuck?
0: <laughs> so this is a trick, if you forget yeah, the name,
1: tell them their drink. <laughs> yeah, but we had a discussion, on it with, you know, what's more important to remember someone's name or their drink? And some people like the drink, and I'm like, no, name. You no, know, if you can remember their name, Hell yes. Like, that is gold. They come in three months later and you're like, oh, how are you? Long time no see. They immediately, you're going to go back there again. Mm. I mean, I always used to, I used to joke that I was a great first date bartender. Because I could sort of tell if people were first dates. And I would, you know, I would work it. So the guy was like, good choice. Like, fantastic. By the way, like, great to see you again. His drink type thing. And people would come there on their first dates all the time. Slightly worryingly, it's just like, no, you shouldn't be having 30 first dates in a month. But uh, but it's little things like that. Read the guest, react to it. But no, I wish my memory was better. Um, (laughs) People keep talking about writing a book. And I sort of know what I want to write about, but part of it is a memoir. Because I don't think people are writing... Everyone's writing recipe books nowadays. Nobody's writing memoirs. And uh, I just can't remember long periods of my life. Not because I was permanently intoxicated, but just because, you know, your brain can only remember a certain amount of things. Mm -hmm. I know far too many song lyrics compared to things, but when I go through pictures, I'm like, I remember that. God, yeah. And suddenly you remember all these things. So yeah, my memory is burned.
0: Talking about memories, I have like an extra question here. Which is the most memorable hospitality experience that you ever felt as a guest? Because. Well, you, you you have to remember something, <laughs> which is the most memorable
1: uh, experience well, of your It's true. I mean, on one hand, I remember going to Vidabar in Zurich, uh, because I knew the bar manager, who's weirdly his name, I'm totally blanked on it now, which he's going to hate me for it, but that's fine. But I went there because I knew they had some Red Hook Rye, which was a very obscure rye whiskey created by... Or, bottled and sold by Nell Smothers. But I went there for that. Great. But then the bar manager, who desperately tried to remember his name, but that's fine. He runs Old Crow now in Zurich still. He comes up and he puts a glass down in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. I mean, this, like, sang hymns going down my throat. It was almost <laughs> a shame to swallow it. Uh, and I drank it. And then I said, what the hell was that? He brought out the bottle. It was a 1964 Beaumont Black. I remember 64 Beaumont Black because I remember reading a story about how it got stolen from a bar in America and they ransomed it back. It was a, it was like a malt napping. So I was like, oh my God, 64 like, Beaumont Black, this is a, a unicorn in the world of spirits. So I got the bill. and The bill's like 72 Swiss francs. Uh, so I leave 500 Swiss francs. I'm like... 420 Swiss franc. I mean, that's like 450 euros or something as a tip. But then as I'm walking out, I grab a menu and look at it, and Bomo Black is two and a half thousand a shot. <laughs> 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 so that's that, But and that's probably going to get him in trouble now, but when people <laughs> say, what's the greatest hospitality you've ever had? The first time I ever went over to Japan, I was running a training session, and for Tanqueray, the second time ever for Tanqueray and I had like a sort of Japanese guy helping me and his name was Mr. Hoshi he's a legendary he's one of the five big Japanese bartenders cut forward, he now owns three different bars, I go and visit him with one of his bars a couple of years ago, we're on the top floor eighth floor of a building and uh, he introduces me to his son and neither he speak great English but so it was like, oh Mr. Mr. Hoshi's son and We when we leave, we walk to the elevator Mr. Hoshi, there's Mr. Hoshi's son standing there, bowing. Thank you very much. Elevator doors close. We go down eight floors. Door opens. Mr. Hoshi's son standing there, bowing. That <laughs> like, what, 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 what the, what the fuck have you got? Did he have twins? I mean, this is weird. I mean, it's, it's not like you don't all look the same to me. So what's going on? And it turns out that he knows exactly how fast he needs to run down the fire escape to get to say goodbye at the top of the the elevator and then run down and be there at the bottom of the elevator when it opens to say a final goodbye to you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, And doing this dressed like Eric Lawrence at the American you know (laughs) what I mean? It's just (laughs) like white jackets and things like that. So that, I always say that was brilliant. I remember going to a bar in San Francisco ordering a Negroni. It comes with a napkin and I'd see on the napkin that it's got AW embroidered on the napkin and I'm like, wow. Turns out Kevin Diedrich, who was the bar manager at the time, he put together a list of like 200 influential people who might come into the bar and then had napkins done for them. Now there are other AWs. I don't, you know, that's fine. But his bartenders were told, look, these are 200 people. If you ever see these people, give them this cocktail napkin. That
0: it's memorable.
1: That truly remarkable.
0: Mm, so nice. So nice. Yeah. Uh, what is your secret sauce for being success, successful in the hospitality industry? Do you have any secret sauce, secret recipe?
1: Uh, I don't know. I think to a certain extent, the only thing in life you can control is how hard you work. That's it. I mean, at the end of the day, things happen beyond your control, etc. And the only thing you can control is how hard you work. Uh, I also am a big believer in, in integrity. I think integrity is really important about being honest, about being the same in your private life with your business life. Also, having a sort of a code of ethics and things like that. Uh, and I think, you know, work hard, be patient. Uh, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, mm. You know, it's, there's no secret sauce. I have a lot of people talk about personal branding and, you know, how to grow your brand. And I'm like, we grew our brand just by working hard, by caring, by being honest, by being humble, and things like that. It was a different time when we were around. But at the end of the day, you know, this job is hard. And if you work hard, if you study, read books, travel, things like that, then stuff will happen. It's no secret. I think it's the same in life as with general.
0: I like to ask, ask these questions because uh, usually all the people are replying like similar things. There is no secret. <laughs> there is no oh. secret sauce that some have it and uh, some don't have it. So everybody can uh, put uh, the energy, put the work and do the thing that it needs to be done. Well,
1: also, I mean, what is success anyway? I mean, mm. now you have bartender competitions and it's like, mm-hmm. OK, is this something that you can have as a competition? I mean, yes pouring accurately and knowledge tests fine but how do you decide that tim phillips is a better bartender than charles jolie
0: yeah i mean
1: it's it's so so there's no secret sauce successful you know somebody once said greatest the greatest way of showing that you're successful as the industry is if your bar or restaurant is busy every single night Wow. if people vote with their feet and their money to come there you know it's not about being paid it's not about what, you know, how many followers you have on instagram it's about none of this it's just like you know if at five thirty there's a queue outside your door and there's a queue outside your door till 11 30 or three o'clock in the morning and things like that that's that's when you're successful uh, if
0: people are see, paying you with their money and their time that's success
1: yeah you know, i remember somebody telling a story of going to green door no rum trader in berlin
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: they went there to see the great Herr Scholl who's a he's a character thank you very much but this person had never met him before and he goes in he's sort of talking to this staff member uh, about drinks and recommendations and things like that and then like Herr Scholl comes in and walks behind the bar and the other guy sits down and he figures out that the guy who was talking to him didn't work there at all <laughs> but Treated the place as though he worked there. He was trying to make recommendations and suggestions. And it was just like, yeah, when when your guests start to want to be staff, And, of course, the legendary one, of course, was Employees Only. But Employees Only in New York, most of the bartenders there have tattoos, like the EO logo. They did a pop-up in New Orleans and had a tattoo artist there. And 38 people who don't work in Employees Only had the Employees Only tattoo. And you have to think, when people start having tattoos on their body of your logo you're doing something right and that's what success is but mm-hmm. at the end of the day you know, it just comes down to if you can help people around you in whatever way then you help one person a day there's success in my book it works nice. for me
0: Nice, nice, nice. So, Angus, it's one hour. It passed. Unfortunately, <laughs> it flew away. I have just one more question in, in closing. All the, all the, the this episode is uh, for the listeners. What is your number one takeaway that you really want our listeners to to remember from this episode? One thing that should be the most, uh, the, the one that should stick with them.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I used to say you never learn less to talk about ongoing. You came out with my, which I have no idea where I got it from, but nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. But I think one thing is that, one of the things nowadays that's one of the problems is everything's so fast nowadays. That people need to be patient. Like, be patient with yourself. You can't learn everything, you know, super quick. Uh, We used to have people say, uh, but it's different in our day now compared to you granddads. you know you can learn all this stuff in books and at the end of the day you can't learn about people in books like that takes time and our industry i don't think is sexist i don't think it's racist I, you know it's definitely ableist you don't see a lot of disabled people working in bars but it is ageist that once you get older people you know you don't want to be served by your grandfather you know at a cool trendy bar you know you want to be served by a cool trendy person uh and we lose a lot of experience. You spend 30 years serving people. You spend 40 years serving people. Like that is an incredible resource, but be patient. You know, at the end of the day, be patient with yourself, be patient with the world. It's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. You don't need to force it. You don't need to, you know, I work. I work, when I'm hiring bartenders, people come in and they've worked in more bars in three years than I worked in 30 years. And they think that's, they think that's good. And i'm like no if every nine months you leave because you're not learning anything like you're missing it you're learning all the time uh and it may not be cool sexy stuff etc but you're practicing it and learning it so be patient and remember that service is a noble pursuit i mean i used to think when i started off i thought service industry i'm a servant yes sir no sir three bags full sir later on i thought i was serving people serving drinks serving food then I realized that I was being of service to people. And that changed my mind radically. Suddenly, I am—I have the most incredible job in the world. Like, my job is to make people feel better in a way that very few other jobs are. So, as I say, it is noble. But anyone listening to your podcast, they know this sort of stuff. Wow. So, you know, at the end of the day, Dropping be patient. The Dropping Patience the, the mic.
0: Boom. Woo. we just there. Woo
1: amazing thank you
0: very much. amazing thank you for accepting thank you for sharing that uh, that much knowledge with uh, with uh, with me with the listeners with everybody you're far too kind thank you very much angus winchester
1: i'm just just chatting with a friend mate chatting with a friend
0: a big pleasure for the listeners thank you for uh, for listening this uh, precious talks i hope it was useful for me for sure it was useful if you want to to listen to this podcast go to the uh, the podcast platforms to spotify apple podcast google cast uh, and other cast uh, platforms or if you want to see also go to youtube and uh, subscribe we are every single week we're trying to to talk with different hospitality gurus as we did today so i hope it was useful that's it for today see you next week cheers
1: cheers man